Imagine you wake up to an emergency evacuation order. A wildfire is bearing down on South Austin, and you have enough time to pack your kids and pets, but little else. As you pull out of the driveway, you sneak one last glance at your house to snap a mental photograph of what there is no guarantee you will ever see again. And then you head down the road toward whatever family or adopted family has extra room and grace sufficient to house your loved ones until the crisis subsides. Only it doesn't subside. What you thought might be a night or two under someone else's roof turns into a week, and then a month, and then a year. So long that you rearrange and even maybe mildly redecorate the guest room you've been given. So long that your personal habits begin to adapt to the rhythms and rules of a new environment that, yes, is not ideal, especially not at first, but that also you have come to find is not all bad. Sure, they wake up an hour earlier than you, uh, than you would prefer, but actually you've come to enjoy the stillness of a pre-dawn coffee. Sure, their Wi-Fi is not very good, but you know you spent too much time previously doom-scrolling on your phone anyway. Sure, there's lots you miss about home, and of course you hope this does not last forever, but you can't help acknowledging that there are some aspects of this version of you that you might actually like better than the previous version of you. This version of you that is forced to live in more intimate and vulnerable community with those outside your immediate family. In someone else's space that you haven't had the chance to fill with your own personally curated creature comforts. This new version of you that has learned to live without so many things you previously assumed you were utterly dependent on. There's some things you kind of like about this new you. And then the moment this self-reflection has bubbled up into your conscious mind, it is announced finally that the roads are passable and it's safe to return to your home. Only, of course, there's no promise that you still have a home to return to. The fire, as wildfires do, burned houses down in a sporadic and unpredictable pattern. And so you load your car again with family and pets plus everything you have accumulated throughout this bizarre window of time, and you point your car back towards your old neighborhood with a mix of exhilaration and fear. Then you see it from a distance. The houses on either side have been reduced to ash heaps, but yours appears to be standing. You hadn't let yourself believe it was possible, but all of a sudden you think of your guitar. (laughs) Will you really be able to hold its familiar shape in your arms again to hear its unique sound? Then you think of the photo, al- photo albums that were left above the mantelpiece, the recipe book handed down to you from your grandparents, the quilt that covered each of your babies when they were brought home from the hospital. 
you could have written the first half of Psalm 126. When the Lord restored our fortunes, then we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. It was said throughout the neighborhood, the Lord has done great things for them. And it's true, the Lord has done great things for us. And we rejoiced. Then you open the door. And your soaring heart sinks. Water damage. Everywhere. Not everything is ruined, but you learn it's going to take days, probably weeks, to sort out what is ruined and what, it, and what is not. One thing is certain, you are not sleeping in this house tonight or anytime soon. You're going to have to gut it and rebuild. You sigh, and you take a few moments for all you have probably lost to sink in. And then, in your sadness, a small spark of hope. Because then you remember the new version of you, the new version of you that learned to live in someone else's house, who woke up earlier and spent less time each day on the internet. And you realize that in rebuilding, you have an opportunity. You actually don't have to rebuild everything exactly as it was before. You can build something for the you you are now instead of the you you were then. And you start dreaming. What from before is worth preserving? What is ruined that it turns out we don't feel the need to replace? What new inspirations might we be able to seamlessly integrate into these old bones? And most importantly, what kind of people, what kind of person might I become through the rebuilding? You could have written the second half of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes again, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. May those who go out weeping come back home with shouts of joy. Now imagine your home is not in Austin, Texas, but in the ancient nation of Israel or Judah. And imagine instead of a wildfire bearing down on you, it's the violent empire of the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And imagine that instead of a year in a house that was foreign to you, it's 70 years living in a foreign land. Imagine the joy of finally coming home. You have restored our fortune, O Lord. We are like those whose dreams are coming true. And imagine the despair in seeing how much had been destroyed while you were gone. Not just the private joys within your household, but the cornerstones of your old community life. The market is gone. Above all, the temple has been ruined. 
Restore our fortunes again, O Lord. And imagine the determination, the creativity, and the hope that would fuel you and your community as you begin to rebuild. May those who sow in tears reap with songs of joy. Now imagine it's not your home, but it's St. Mark's Episcopal Church. And it's not a wildfire or a violent army, but a violent virus, which both literally barred our doors to entry while also scattering us for a time from one another. We also have had to adapt our habits and practices to alternative rhythms and rules. We've been forced to set up and tear down furniture for outdoor worship like a moving tabernacle in the wilderness. We've been forced to live more intimately acquainted with our own vulnerabilities, as well as with the vulnerabilities of others. Things whose reliable presence we once took for granted, like breakfast tacos, the voices of the choir, or the privilege of seeing one another's full faces disappeared overnight. And some of those fortunes have now been restored, thank God. It is good to be back inside. It is good to hear the choir. It is good to have the wine back with the bread. But we have sowed many tears along the way. And it would be foolish to think that we can put vulnerability behind us even as we hope the virus again fades into the background. The truth is this rebuilding is still only in its early phases. We still have a ways to go before this place really and truly feels like home again. We have torchbearers today for the first time in two years. But do you not feel a spark of hope? Do you not see the opportunity before us as a church, before you as a follower of Jesus? Today, we launch our annual fall stewardship campaign, which is just a fancy way of saying that we're asking you over the next two weeks to prayerfully consider how much financial support you will pledge to St. Mark's for our next budget year. But to take everything I've said and to put it in service of a stewardship campaign feels pretty stupid, doesn't it? Such a boring way of talking about ministry. Let me encourage you. Don't treat this year like every other year. With the stewardship campaign, but with your relationship to this church more than everything. Don't treat this year like every other year. We are returning from exile. We are coming back home. And we're coming back to a different home than the one that we left. It has been really hard, but it hasn't been all bad. What we have sown in sadness, we are learning to reap in joy. 
We have become a different community by enduring this hardship together. Take a moment and think about our last 18 months together. We responded to unprecedented levels of need in our community by reaching out more in mission than we ever have before, not just with our bodies, but by giving away tens of thousands of dollars over and over and over again. We have become a more generous-hearted church. And while youth and children's ministries disappeared from churches across the country over the last 18 months, we added more families with young children than we ever thought was possible primarily because of our family picnic Eucharist, and frankly, because of Casey Bushman. Even with masks and rotating quarantines for all, our children's ministry has never been bigger than it is right this moment. Over 30 people signed up for our Being With course, an introduction to Christianity course, that confidentially I worried we would struggle to get even five people to sign up for. Our Tuesday Bible study has doubled in size. Members of our church have logged on to Zoom every single weekday morning since the first day of lockdown at 8.30 a.m. to say morning prayer together to pray for you. And they have no plans of stopping anytime soon. We took two high holy days to the streets of Barton Hills in neighborhood procession. We shared a parking lot Easter vigil that will live long in the memory of all who were there. The Lord has done great things for us. So this is a time for us to be like those who dream. Don't you want to be part of this rebuilding? I should clarify, other than new bathrooms, I'm not really talking about our actual building. That will come sooner or later, I promise you. But right now I'm talking about the rebuilding of your soul, of your personal and our corporate internal architecture. And I'm asking you a simple question. Do you not feel a spark of opportunity amidst these ashes? Has this partial restoration not left you hungry for more? I can say one thing about the stewardship campaign itself. The truth is, if you feel compelled to be part of this rebuilding, if you feel compelled to lean more deeply into this church community, to give more of yourself, of your soul and body, then a pretty good way to begin would be to give more of your money. As Nathan put it in Sunday school a few weeks ago, if you can't give the full 10%, if that's still a goal out in front of you, a good rule of thumb is to give until it hurts. Because if you're giving at a level that requires some actual personal sacrifice. What that does to your brain is it actually changes your expectation from what you hope, what you anticipate, what you expect to receive in return from this community. If you sow with tears, you will reap with joy. Our church is growing despite everything we've gone through. And the truth is our budget needs to grow to support those who have joined at the 11th hour as well as those who have been here since the beginning. 
Our staff are excellent, and they deserve to be well cared for as well. But more than any of that, God is doing something special in this place right now. God is stretching us further into our community than we've ever gone before, while God is also awakening a hunger for transformation deep down in our hearts. Consider the agrarian metaphor at the heart of this psalm. You can think of supporting a stewardship campaign by pledging your money as really just sowing seeds into the soil of this place. Seeds that then you and I get to tend together. Seeds that we get to witness become miracles of new life, blossoms of justice and grace. Blooms of mercy and righteousness. New life of transformational belonging in Christ. Don't treat this year like every other year. God wants all of you. For your sake. Amen.